Okay, um, I want to get through Lacan, and then we'll touch on Zizek, and then we'll get to the the final points that we discuss. So, um, I'm just going to kind of go through this quickly, because we've said so much already about it. But, okay. So, Lacan was always talking about death drive, of course, but he didn't really focus on it until Seminar 7, and... Uh, seminar sevens, one of his big four, uh, big uh, one of the big four, and by that I mean there's four seminars of his that really are considered the four most important, the most significant, and it's seminar seven, which is called the Ethics of Psychoanalysis. Then there's uh, seminar uh, eleven, which is probably the most famous and most significant of them all. Um, and it's the four fundamental concepts of psychoanalysis. It's that important because he's going back to basics. He's dealing with the four core concepts. And then there's seminar 17, and that one's really important because that's where he works out his theory of the four discourses. And maybe sometime we'll do a talk on that in the future. That would be fun. Um, and then seminar 20, which is all about sexuation and uh, different types of jouissance and everything, but that's where he talks about uh, the feminine structure and the masculine structure, sexual difference. And so those are his big four. But uh, the first time he really focuses on death drive is in Seminar 7. And he returns to it again in Seminar 11. But And he, he does um, make some variations on it, make some modifications. Uh, but in Seminar 7, he formulates it like this. He says... Uh, that death drive is a movement beyond the symbolic order. Well, this is what we've been saying here all along. Uh, it's a movement beyond law, beyond your social identity, beyond your being in the world, your social position, uh, right? I mean, it wants to, death drive like wants to explode your specific identity or position in the world, right? Your identity in the world. And so uh, death drive is a path the subject has to the real and what escapes the symbolic right so that's jargon a lot of jargon but the real the way he talks about it and there's a million different things we say about the real and we've already talked about the registers but uh, think of it just like this like you exist in a world there's a certain identity that you have established or has been allotted for you and yet there's all kinds of uh, ways you could exist as a different person, right? Yet, um, it's like death drive just wants out of your social position. It wants to, again, like if you're, uh, uh, you know, you're a musician and you've been a musician your whole life, there's some part of you that wants out of this position. Like, I want to be freed from this person I've become, this, this social identity I've established. Right. And this is what he means by symbolic suicide. This is the death that death drive is actually seeking. Not literal biological death, but symbolic death. This is my chance to say that I am releasing a video in the next few days. It's a clip of the interview I did with Dr. Ian Thompson on Heidegger and death. And it's about existential death, which is not the same as like, you know, your body dying. And... That you know, it's about existential world collapse, and so we'll we'll uh, we don't really have to get too into it right now, but it's super related to this. I'll just say that because because it's like easily connected to what he means by symbolic death. It's like the world of the of the of the carpenter 
you know, it includes like so much. Everyone sees you this way. Everything, you know, your, your knowledge is all related to this. Like you, 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 your entire relation to your workshop is, is in this. And, um, when, if you go through, like if you're, if your death drive were to kick in, like the, the, the way it would relate to existential word collapse is that, that, that everything in that world is pretty much like either lost its value or has, has, has its, its fundamental meaning has shifted to where mm-hmm. it's just like you either want to have nothing to do with it or, or, uh, yeah, or, you know, and the existential world collapse could also be like, you know, you're a violin virtuoso and then your hand gets broken and you're not anymore, right? Like, yeah. Um, and, and, and suddenly this whole world that you had like cultivated, it, it, you know, is, is just gone. Like, shattered. It, yeah, shattered. Um, except that, so, so that would not necessarily be death drive, but, but a lot of things that we see as like existential world collapse, death drive is usually going to play a, play a role in that. But here's the thing. It depends on where the death drive is focused because to destroy your, your social order, to destroy your world is to destroy your symbolic position. Like, that's why uh, Joker, right, in The Dark Knight, he's almost pure death drive, where it's like, I don't want any symbolic identity. I just want to just destroy, to destroy. He gets enjoyment just from what he's doing. It doesn't serve any cause, right? He doesn't really have any lofty values he's trying to actually establish. It, 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 it's Michael Caine, right? He says some men just want to watch the world burn, and that's that's the idea. Like, I, Death Drive wants to destabilize ourselves and the world for its own enjoyment. Like, it enjoys the very process of undermining them. Mm. But so yeah, there's ways to connect it to like existential death. But um, yeah, that was, so there's the aside. I was looking for an opportunity to plug that video because it's no, like, this, it, this, this follows it up, right? So uh, Lacan, following in the footsteps of the Marquis, Marquis de Sade, uh, he associates death drive with the destruction of the world. Death drive seeks to destroy the world so as to start all over again. That is to create a new world. Creation ex nihilo. Uh Death Drive is the urge to start everything from zero. So there's a whole chapter or a whole session of Seminar 7 that's called Creation Ex Nihilo. And it's it's right there with Death Drives, uh, the Death Drive session. And that that's the way Lacan, at this point, formulates Death Drive. It's this desire. Tom Waits is one of my favorite th- singers, and he's got a song, and it, it goes, you know, I want to walk away and start all over again. Well, that little... That, that really sums up death yeah, drive, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I just want a, to start from zero. I want to start... But that that's what's interesting, right, about what Lacan says. It is it is an impulse for destruction, but it wants to create once it's destroyed. So he also gives it this kind of creative aspect that you don't really see in Freud. And so this is one of his original contributions. But... Uh, so death drive seeks symbolic death, not biological death. Symbolic death leads to the evacuation of the symbolic field, the world, the signifying chain, etc. A lot of terms there, but it's really just a way of I want to like kill the society that operates within me. Like I want to be freed from this, and uh, 
that's a weird way of, like evacuating the symbolic field but it's just really a way of saying I'm not going to live under the pressure or the confines of my social order and death drive like wants to get all of those like social prohibitions social laws limitations wants to blow all those apart it's it's That's and cool. you know this world destruction you know it, this is this is being used in the in the sense from being in time right this is the idea this is we we yeah, there's all the symbolic order basically right yeah this is yeah okay and so uh death drive frees us from our socio-symbolic moorings, right? Uh, our anchorings. And uh, it frees us from our positions in the world. Symbolic death via death drive is a way of getting a fresh start. <clears throat> At any moment, we can make everything we value count as nothing to us. Now, I'm not saying it happens at the conscious level, but there's some part of us that can just go, all these shit that I think is so valuable it's not valuable to me at all right I mean again to go back to Fight Club that's what he does he blows up his nice apartment filled with all the consumer products that society tells him he has to have in order to be happy and what's he do he goes and lives in an abandoned hellhole but he enjoys it right it's freedom to him that he's destroyed his consumer goods and uh, he's he destroyed his pleasure and by doing so, he's like destroyed his social status, his social position. And so he's found this immense enjoyment in the freedom he's gotten from committing a symbolic suicide. Not a literal suicide, but a, a symbolic suicide. And so there's actually immense freedom in it oftentimes. So... Um, Would uh, you say cigarettes or alcohol are somehow related to death drive? Absolutely. So, I mean, all kinds of stuff we do, uh, overeating, uh, you know, eating things like one of the, it's not even overeating. One of the basic <laughs> no, gluttony straight up though, just cramming my face, eating way too much. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, you know what? I mean, this is why this is a great instance of Jouisant's death drive. Americans, one of their baseline forms of death drive or enjoyment isn't just eating too much. That's part of it, but it's eating bad shit for the sake of it you know they want to eat fast food for the sake of it and like in new york remember where they were trying to limit like the size of the sodas you could buy <laughs> bloomberg but bloomberg he did it everyone's like he's yeah, a fascist hated him for it. <laughs> yeah and that's the yeah, funny like, thing that is, is like american death drive that's american juizon it's like fuck you asshole like don't you ever make me give up doing what's bad for me because I it's enjoy like, it so fucking much. A normie American sees Richard Spencer and goes, a fascist? I don't know about that. I don't know if that's really a fascist. Uh, we, we can't be so sure. You just call everyone you don't like a fascist. But then they turn around and call Bloomberg a fascist because he banned their large drink, you know. my 64-ounce Coke from me uh, out of my Fashion. cold dead hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out of my right? cold dead hand. But this is where you see. This is libidinal economy this is all of the I, a lot of this sounds so abstract but the reason i like this th these theoretical tools more than a lot of them is it makes sense of all the shit you deal with in your everyday life in a way that a lot of philosophies or he wouldn't call it philosophy but the way that a lot of conceptual systems aren't able to so i mean psychoanalysis yeah. really can help us understand why people are so mad about not being able to purchase, you know, what a, a 284 
uh, you know, ounce poke or whatever it was. Right. And, yeah, and if it and if it doesn't always explain the situation in a way where we now understand the situation, it can at least like free that situation up into a perspective to where you can see a variety of different like factors that can be at work, you know, which, yeah, well, you know, I, like, like where people take, you know, uh, you know, cultural discourse at this superficial and explicit level. And they don't realize that there's a, you know, people have their unconscious, <laughs> like they have their desire. They have their libidinal investments. Um, habitus is not just like habitus is not just like, Oh, your behavior. You're like, your habitus is like, libido. It's yeah, you're, you're shaped this way. You know, this is, this is the way that you found to cope, you know, as uh, Dr. Dreyfus would say. And again, I, I, I didn't clarify cope when I, when in a Lacanian context, when you talk about libido, right for Freud, it's sexual energy, but libido really more or less is used as a synonym for jouissance, uh, with Lacanians. Uh, maybe really? they make oh, some wow. really detailed distinction there, but m- m- most of the time, libido is just another term for jouissance. And so, but no, you know this as well oh. as I do, that if somehow like leftists were able to come to power in America and they really did occupy the positions of power, and they said, hey, guess what we're going to do? We're going to give all Americans really great, fresh healthy food we're going to get rid of the bullshit chemicals all the processed garbage and we're going to give we're going to have the best fresh healthiest food in the world americans would go fuck you and they would they would demand their mcdonald's they would demand their kfc they and this is just one of the aspects of our it's it's weird it's part of american identity it's part of american ritual that people enjoy their fast food and the idea if they ever thought somebody was going to take these places from them they would lose their shit and at a conscious level they you could talk to them and they would agree but it's they would still lose their shit and that's that's why uh you know you start to see this shit at work and you're just like my god like everybody knows this shit is bad for them and you know we do this thing like oh people eat there because they they can't afford to eat good food. That's that's true of some people, definitely. But you know damn well if the day came where we were going to shut down all the fast food restaurants, it would be like fucking riots and shit over, like, no, God damn it, I will enjoy myself in the ways that I, my, me and my parents and my grandparents have enjoyed ourselves. Yeah. It's weird. Like, eating bad fast food is one of the, like, real American rituals. Well, and you know, just a perfect example of how hard it is to change these kinds of habits and relations to desire is just think about how often people are trying out diets or thinking about trying out diets. That's a, per, you know, it's just a perfect, this, this consumes us. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, well, I mean, your habitus is not just a bunch of habits that you just develop. Like, no, like this is, it, it's also like a part of your libidinal economy. And, and yeah. these things are like, yeah, it's a lot more complex than just like what you're doing in the moment, which is why we have to talk about subjectivities instead of just like egos, because egos are just like subjective reports. But it's like, yeah, Ego but is just a part of our psyche or human condition or subject, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, libidinal economies. So, uh, I am okay, objects so like like that super. Here. I am objects like 
said like that super cyan McNuggets lady. Did you ever see that? I don't know. I don't know if I saw this one. I am object. I, it, I don't think I saw it though. Okay, we need to see it because I don't know. But uh, Nuo asked, "Is Death Drive phallic then, as in not being repressed?" That's a. I. I mean, this is one of these things. Phallic. That I know you don't like to talk about the phallus as much. Yeah. Well, no, it's just because whenever Lacanians or even people who are into psychoanalysis, half the time when they use that term, I don't know what they mean because. I mean, I I would need a definition. Like, okay, I don't see, like it's phallic and not being repressed. I mean, I guess, but at the same, yeah. like the imaginary phallus is what is repressed by the name of the father. So they, again, phallic is one of these terms that I just I've never found like what the consistent signified is when Lucanians are using it. Uh, I if, if they want to give a, a definition, uh, yeah, I'd love to, you know, I could see what I'd come up with. But Okay, um, yeah, I want to kind of get through this Lacan section here. Okay, so we often try to give ourselves justifications for our symbolic suicides, but in reality, they defy all rational explanations. Um, an example Todd McGowan gives is from this old classic Western called 310 to Yuma, and it makes no sense that this guy would act the way he does at the end of the film, but he ends up making a decision that's going to probably lead to his actual death, but, and it's not like he did it any out of any, like, moral sense of what's right and what's wrong. He just made this self-destructive act, and you could tell that he immensely enjoyed it, even though, like, and he tries to give it a, a you know, a, a little justification, but it doesn't really make sense of anything. So, um, these explanations don't make sense insofar as they are the rejection of our self-interest. Like, you can try to explain it away or give it a justification, but you're ultimately acting against what's in your self-interest, so they don't really make a whole lot of sense, and uh, at least not according to conscious logic, right? And uh, But the possibility of this symbolic suicide is always open to us. And so Lacan says in Seminar 7, the drive as such, insofar as it is then a destruction drive, has to be beyond the instinct to return to the state of equilibrium of the inanimate sphere. What he just said there, he's rejecting that idea in Freud that we want to return to uh, our inanimate being, right? We want to literally kill ourselves because if, destruction, if the drive gets off on destruction, then it wants to keep on destroying. Well... To continue destruct, destroying, you have to exist in some way. You don't want to literally die, and so uh, it's his uh, way. Of, mm. Yeah, it's his way of saying like, drive is not actually chasing some inanimate state. Uh, so he rejects that part of Freud. But then he says, "Will to destruction, will to make a fresh start." And that's just what we were talking about. Drive wants to collapse our symbolic identity so it can we can create a new one which in turn it can destroy again and so and then he says Freud's thought in this matter requires that what is involved be articulated as a destruction drive given that it challenges everything that exists but it is also a will to create from zero a will to begin again and uh, yeah so we'll see how this this has implications that we're gonna flesh out in a minute 
then Lacan, then in seminar 11 Lacan returns to the concept of drive but he really and I said this at the very beginning when we started there's death drive and then there's the drives and there's four main drives uh, that Lacan talks about the oral drive eyes ears mouth uh, and anus so those those are the four drives and um, he says that every drive is a death drive so in these four particular drives we have uh, death drive is always at work and the, the the thing is to talk about the drives in their particularity we'd have to do a whole nother lecture so I'm just I'm not gonna get into the particularity of the drives but what he does in seminar 11 and this is something that huge for Zizek he's always talking about this <clears throat> is that he says drive follows a circular movement that is drive circles the object death drive is the way the subject inherently satisfies itself death drive is inherently satisfying for the subject death drive is not pleasurable but it is satisfying or enjoyable which means it produces jouissance death drive gets satisfaction jouissance by missing its object death drive involves the enjoyment of not attaining the object so here's the point uh, this building up of excitation this building up of jouissance the reason you don't want to get the object you think you're aiming at is once you get it it would reduce it like pleasure principle would kick in and it would reduce the the buildup of the excitation and that would neutralize precisely what the drive is trying to do and so okay like I said drive is this really specifically human thing but a certain animal gives us a brilliant example uh, or a brilliant image to go off of right it's the dog chasing its own tail that's what drive is for us right the dog doesn't actually want to get the tail because then the like the game the chase the buildup would be over the dog and, and again I'm not saying that this this is actually death drive at work in a dog it's just the dog chasing its own tail is a nice image of how drive works in us where the last thing the dog would want is to get to actually bite his tail and so for us the last thing we want as far as drive goes is to actually get the thing we're pursuing we want to keep on missing it or like that's the, the the dog going in a circle right that's the way it's like drive circles its object and you'll hear Lacanians always talk like this but it just means if you keep going around, if you keep circling this path, right, you never actually get your hands on the thing. And uh, you just, like, and think about even in uh, uh, in old movies where two guys are about to fight, but instead of, like, going directly at each other, they, like, build this tension up by just walking around in a circle. And Lacan uses this idea of the circularity of the drive to say, like, drive just wants to continue not getting what it wants because if it gets what it wants it'll be satisfied and then it will reduce jouissance it will reduce excitation so to continue to build excitation it has to continue to not get what it's chasing so okay it's, to me it's just confusing because it's like I don't know if I just think of like the example of binging it's like no I do I do want to get full like I don't know, I, I like I want to get really full. I, so what's uh, and then I do get a, I do get really full after like some binging, point, right? again to overeat is totally against your self interest. Like that's the thing when you actually overeat when you binge 
you eat to the point of it's a pleasure in pain that you know it's jouissance but um you know an example of this idea of you just want the uh the stimulation or the excitation without the object think about babies with pacifiers right i mean from a bio if you if we want to view uh, you know uh view it in terms of biological need then the baby wants the milk from the breast right but this is Freud's early observation is that the baby, the human baby is different than the, 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 the puppy, right? Animals want the nourishing substance. And then when they get enough, they're done. Babies just want to suck the breast, not for the milk, but just to suck the breast. That's why babies will, you know, they suck on pacifiers because the oral drive wants that stimulation. And it's almost as if the milk like gets in the way Right, because once you've had so, you, there's only so much you can eat, right? So you have to stop. But like the drive just wants to keep on going, and but, but the but the drive is not the instinct, right? And so this is right where you're like, isn't it just instinctual just to want to suck on something at that age or something? Like, is no, it, is, they, they don't, you you don't see animals repeat this. Like, what's instinctual is to get the. I mean, I mean, when you think of animals, right? Most animals actually eat enough to maintain a certain weight. You don't see animals have drastically different weights in their species, uh, like overly overweight or overweight or you know underweight, right? Uh, they tend to eat a certain amount to maintain a certain weight that's optimal for their their physicality. Well, humans don't do that, and uh, you know, you know, there's psychoanalysis talks about anorexia and all this like there's an enjoyment in not eating the food right and then you can also get immense enjoyment from overeating and this has to do with drive whereas the instinct or you know the biological need in animals seems to always be geared toward homeostasis towards balance right and again when you look at most species uh, unless they're in really you know unique circumstances they all tend to seem to have the same kind of weight for their species and it's as if like their their biological makeup just keeps them in a kind of balance with their environment in a way that we just cannot maintain and so that's the thing is like uh whether it's the pacifier or it's sucking the thumb or whatever uh, that's like the oral drive where it doesn't satisfy any biological need. There's really no point to it. It's the fact that uh, these organs cease to be pure biological organs and they take on a life of their own. That's why psychoanalysis calls them partial objects, right? It's as if these things have a mind. I mean, in, in generic discourse, people talk about like how the penis has a mind of its own. But the mouth has a mind of its own, the eyes have a mind of their own, the ears have a mind of their own, the anus, and that's part of what drive theory gets at, is how these parts of our bodies really are their own kind of subjects. They're weird. Um, they, they have a weird kind of uh, uh, fixation on stimulation for the sake of uh, stimulation and uh, it doesn't meet any biological necessities and a lot of in a lot of ways like meeting the biological necessity can hamper the drive it can get in the way of what it wants to do and so 
that's what he he means by uh, drive wants to miss the object. It wants to not get what it wants, it, precisely so it can keep on stimulating itself, building up tension, building up excitation. Hmm. And so, uh, so then he goes on. So this is important, right? So what does psychoanalysis do when it comes to this, right? Okay, you have this drive, and it goes out of its way to self sabotage. It goes out of its way to not have satisfaction. Uh, to not have to keep on missing the object. Well, <clears throat> psychoanalysis seeks to shorten the circuit of the drive. The idea is that when you're doing this thing of like you're giving yourself too much trouble, you're making it too hard to, to reach pleasure or have satisfaction or whatever. When you're constantly doing this, uh, they can take on these really elaborate ways. People will go out. People will have these elaborate ways of giving themselves too much trouble. And what psychoanalysis does is try to shorten the, the the circuit, which is to say, like, it tries to lessen how much trouble you give yourself. It's not saying it will ever get rid of drive. It won't. Uh, it's not saying that it can do away with, you know, your this impulse to, you know, have jouissance. It won't. But what it can try to do is help you not sabotage yourself so extremely in this uh, circular motion of the drive. So... Did you look at the screen? It's like... It's trying to make the trouble you give yourself for the sake of your enjoyment less troublesome. It's trying to make it easier to enjoy. Mm. And so it's, it's like making the drive work more, uh, in a way that's smoother. And that's, I mean, so Lacan even says this in Seminar 11, he says, On the whole, and as a first approximation, I would say that to which they give satisfaction by the ways of displeasure is nevertheless, and this is commonly accepted, the law of pleasure. Now, again, he's using these terms in a way that's not yet, like, sometimes when he says pleasure, it's, it's like he has jouissance in mind, and I know that's confusing, but he's he's trying to say that what you find in psychoanalysis is that the only way people get pleasure is by giving themselves displeasure, which is to say the only way they get jouissance is by sabotaging their self-interest, going against what's good for them, so so on and so forth. And then he goes on, let us say that for this sort of satisfaction, jouissance, they give themselves too much trouble. Up to a point, and or it is this too much trouble that is the sole justification of our intervention. Our intervention is, our, our intervention as psychoanalysts is to help them lessen how much trouble they give themselves for the sake of in an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things? This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest, in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area, late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, 
and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city, whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri. And he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced. And it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. 
I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek for they don't know what they do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory underground.com forward slash support thank you